listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Man, this morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 17 uh, through 24. Uh, while you're turning, I just want to say we're a week away from our Encounter 2020 Summer student mission camp and so if you haven't signed up anyone fifth grade that's moving into sixth grade through twelfth grade uh, you can be a part of this and we're expecting God to do great things so uh, if you have not signed up I invite you to and we're expecting God to do some amazing things in the lives of these students and uh, volunteers as well uh, so uh, just wanted to put that out there um, I want to read uh, 17 through 24, as we continue in our sermon series, it says this, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and God, I must admit that, Lord, as we were singing the great I am, God, I just thought about at any moment in this service today, God, I could, in a twinkling of an eye, be standing before the great I am. God, literally, somebody in this room could be in your presence God, don't let us take for granted how amazing you are. Father, I pray that, God, we take advantage of being able to come boldly to your throne. God, because of what Jesus has done. And Father, I pray that today in this room, God, and on live stream, anyone that's listening, that you, God, would not grip our heart. God, that you would squeeze and crush us, God, to the place that if there is anything in us that does not glorify your name, God, it would come out. Father, I pray that you would speak to us as you have been already through these eight weeks, God of Romans. And Father, I pray this morning that if there is someone in here who doesn't know you, God, as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, God, and right now would be the accepted time. Father, I pray that as we as Christians, God, that we would open our eyes and see, God, that we serve the great I am, God, that you are high and lifted up, you are on your throne, and God, we have all the power that raised Jesus from the dead living within us. So God, let us quit living slack, let us... God, quit living, uh, Lord, as if you're not coming back. And God, press us 
God, I'm asking you in this room today, God, to put us in a place, God, to where we see the error of our ways as American Christians. And the God that we would repent so others can know you. God, I love you. And I'm asking you today to do a great and mighty work, Lord, in me and all across this room. In Jesus' name, amen. There is uh, everybody who knows me knows I love the Amazon jungle and the men who gave their lives for the gospel. And Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, um, has a documentary in 2014 where he took a group of family members from each one of the men who died and they traveled into the jungle and uh, they got to see the work that was started by these uh, men and carried on by their wives. And at the last of the, the documentary, he's sharing a story about a personal tragedy in their life. And he begins to talk about how we as Christians in America think we have the goods. And if you've ever been overseas, I've traveled with people before and have to admit the first couple of times I went over into another place that I was going with the mentality that I was a North American pastor. I've got training. I have the tools. And so I was going over there with the mentality that I was going to do something great for those people until God got a hold to me. And they got a hold to me. And so oftentimes we as American Christians think that because we have the great freedom that we are being able to celebrate today and because of all the things that God has blessed us with, that we somehow have the goods. I want to tell you, the Bible covers more than the United States. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, our greatest freedom could become our greatest bondage. And this is what he says. And man, this when I heard this in 2014 and I watched it again the other day. It's funny. You can ask Adrian. I was sitting in my office and she comes and she knocks on the door. And she comes in and I'm weeping. And she's like, are you all right? I was like, no, I'm not because I'm pathetic because I so often have the mentality that I have something to offer. And outside of Jesus, I have nothing. This is what he said, and I'll never forget what it did to my life. Don't tell people what you believe. Live your life and let them measure what you believe. I'll say it again. <laughs> don't tell people what you believe. I'm not saying don't share the gospel. But live your life and let them measure what you believe. This is what... David Platt says in Radical, We are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. But when we stand before Jesus, we will not wish we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of this world. Instead... We will wish we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, 
people and language will bow around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. If we're not careful, we're going to fall, or I'm afraid we've already fallen into the place of Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 24. I want you to follow along with me, and as you do that, I want you to think about first century Jews and 2020 American Christianity, and I want you to watch the parallel between the two. First of all, the disadvantage of the Jews. Now, the Jews, we all know, is God's chosen people. And God made it very clear to them up front, it wasn't because you had anything to offer. It wasn't because you were great among the nations. As a matter of fact, you were the least among the nations, and I chose you. Why did he choose them? To be a light to the Gentiles. He created this nation to pull this thread of the Messiah that would come, and he did it so that he they could be a light to the Gentiles leading up to Jesus coming. And it was a beautiful, beautiful design by God. God does not make mistakes. God does not mess up. Man gets in the way. And so God has this great design. So we know, man, these people were special and still are special in the eyes of God. But watch what happens. Paul is talking to first century Jews and listen what he says. Indeed, you are called a Jew. Now, we can stop there and say, indeed, you are called a Christian. Because watch what's fixing to happen. And you rest on the law and you make your boast in God. There were God's chosen people, first of all. Think about their assets. We're going to talk about assets and liabilities for a minute. Their assets were they were God's chosen people. They took great pride in the name Jew. Why? Because the name meant praise to Jehovah. I mean, who wouldn't be excited that your name had something to do with praising Jehovah? And they loved it so much that by the time the New Testament rolls around, when they would introduce themselves, they would introduce themselves like this. Matthew Watkins, Jew. So if you're walking up and introduce yourself to a stranger, you're going to say, hey, I'm Matthew Watkins, Jew. Right? We do it in America. Right? I mean, the first thing I want people to know about me is what? I'm a Christian. I want people to know that I love Jesus. I want people to know that. But what they were doing is they were taking his name and it had built up a lot of pride and arrogance in their life. And they were all about their heritage. They were all about all this racial and religious heritage. And they believed that because they were Jews, that they some kind of way were superior, that they were some kind of way had merit and they were specially blessed because of who they were. You ain't caught on yet. We'll keep going. <laughs> they were given the law. Think about it. It was them who was there when Moses went up and he, he, he got the Ten Commandments and it was to the Jews that he gave that to. But he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the Torah, the first five Bible uh, books of the Bible. And he says, hey, God gave that to you. And so they thought, well, surely if God gives us the, the law and the prophets and the scriptures, then surely we are special. 
They believed that because they were called Jews, that they held something. But listen to this. They had the Torah. They had the law. He says it here. You rest on the law. You rely on the law. They had the Torah. They possessed it. But that's all they did. I would dare say there is very few homes in the United States of America today that doesn't have a Bible in it. And a lot of people have it and possess it, but they don't use it and practice it. That's what was going on here. They had the Torah, but that's all they had. They didn't read it. They didn't abide by it, except what they wanted to extend out into this great pious attitude they were given the law they boasted that God was their father they would tell people we are the true people of God in their minds they were God's favorites are you with me yet because in the United States man we'll let people know real quick hey we're a Christian nation and God has given us this great nation and our country is the one who sent the most missionaries all over the world all these years we're the ones where all the Bible translations come from we're the ones that have all the great churches and great pastors and great worship and great all these things but I want to tell you something and if that's all we're basing it on we're missing the great I am so he is they just think there's something about them that's so special. They wanted people to know who they were. They were God's favorites. He goes on to say in verse 18 that they, they knew God's will. It was the Jews that he gave that to. The Ten Commandments, the prophets, of scriptures have already said it. They were profitable in their own lives. In verse 18, it says that how they prove the things that are excellent. In their eyes, they were essential. That's a new word. The world couldn't make it without them. They're far beyond the ignorant Gentiles. They were superior in moral judgment. Nobody could top them. They were instructed by the law. It was the lamp unto their what? And the light unto their path. Yet they stumbled and failed. Why? Because they were walking in darkness. They were confident of their purpose. Notice what he says. He says, hey, you're confident in verse 19 that yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish. Man, you got to be thinking pretty high of yourself at this point. Man, look at me. These crazy, ignorant Gentiles. Let me teach them something. Thought they were superior mentors to the community on moral matters. Notice what he says in 20b, or in 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. They embodied knowledge and truth, they had this revelation of this, and yet they still stumbled. And this is their assets. This is how good they were. This is who God had. He had created them to be this chosen people and all the things he had done for them. And he had blessed them tremendously. And, and they took all of it and they just squandered it away. Because notice what begins to happen in verse 21. He says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? They taught others, but they did not teach themselves. They had right doctrine, but wrong practice. Does it sound familiar yet? 
I mean, we are walking right along beside the first century Jews in 2020. I have the right doctrine. But are we practicing it? He goes on. They preached against stealing, yet they stole. Remember Jesus in the temple? It's because they were stealing. They were selling this stuff and they were taking advantage of people who had traveled for miles and miles to come to the day and, and to sacrifice. And those people along the way, maybe their sacrifice got sick and died or maybe they couldn't afford to bring one. So they were there and they were set up and they were they were taking advantage of their own people in the temple. They were making money and they were doing it, doing it in such a way they were stealing from their people. Yet they would tell you. Do not steal. They preached against adultery, yet committed it themselves. The Jewish men would try to twist the law in such a way that if they saw a woman that was more attracted to them than their wife, they would try to twist the law where they could give their wife a divorce but, and marry this lady. Yet Jesus just destroys it in Matthew 5. I mean, he just rips it apart. He says, if you even look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. It's kind of hard to twist that. <laughs> they abhorred idols, but they stole from pagan temples. They bragged about the law, yet they dishonored God by breaking it. And I believe the greatest act of dishonoring God is claiming to be a Christian, yet indulging in sin. Sound familiar yet? Notice the results. Verse 24 says, For the name of God is slandered among the Gentiles. There's only one group of people to blame for the condition that we see our country in. And you can agree or disagree with me, that's fine. But God's people have failed. I'm not saying we don't share the gospel. I'm not saying we don't worship. But we have settled for an American Christianity that puts us in charge. This, we tell Jesus how life's going to be. And we don't follow the Jesus of the Bible. So whenever the American church goes to tell lost people, even in this nation, about Jesus, they laugh at us because we don't live what we proclaim. And so there's a disadvantage with us. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians with me. I mean, Philippians chapter 3. And I want to show you we're the same way today. What my prayer is, and I'm like Brother Ken, sometimes these messages are just hard and I can, it's a good thing these lights are bright because I can see a few faces, I can't see everybody's, but sometimes it's like, who do you think you are telling us this? I want you to understand, man, my heart is for God to move in this place like never before. That God would set a fire in the chairs 
in the hearts, in the lives of every member of Warren Community Church that wherever we go, not only do we proclaim the gospel, but they see it in our lives. We begin to see people saved. We begin to see the church move. We begin to see the nation saved because we're sending and we're going all over until I want you to understand I am not trying to be down today. I'm not trying to make you feel bad on this Freedom Weekend, but what I want us to see is that we have a God who loves us enough to convict us so that we can bow in our on our knees and repent and turn from our ways and we can see God move as we just sing, do it again. So I want you to listen and just hear me. The disadvantage with us in Philippians, Paul begins to talk about who he was in light of who Christ is and before he met Christ. And these are three things that I believe that we struggle with in America. One is the hang-up of heritage. In Philippians 3, 4 and 5, Paul says this, I also might have confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks he has more confidence in the flesh, I more so. Why? Because I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. I want you to understand that there can be a hang up with heritage. If anybody had the right to boast, it would have been Paul. But he realized that his credentials, his achievements, any successes that he had had up until the time he met Jesus meant nothing. He was a Jew by birth. How many in here were born into a Christian family? I mean, come on. I mean, we live in a Christian nation. Everybody's Christian in America. He followed the Jewish rituals from the beginning. He was a birth. He was a member of God's chosen people at birth. He inherited all the blessings of being part of the covenant nation. This list just gets more impressive. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, I'm not only a Jew, I am one of the Jews. Because I belong to the tribe of Benjamin. If you don't know, we're the most loved. We're special. Right? And that's the way we act sometimes. It's like, hey man, I was born into a Christian home. I go to Warren Community Church. We have an awesome pastor, an awesome worship leader. We have things going on. And I want to tell you, we got it all happening. Right? We're that way. And you need to tell people that. Don't say the opposite. But don't let that be the hang up. And I'm sure there's people across the room and say, man, I wouldn't trade my heritage for nothing. Listen to me. I would not trade my heritage for nothing. You, there is not enough money. There is not enough fame. There's not enough power in the world to want me to change where I came from. Because I came from a long line of God fearing, Bible teaching, Bible preaching people. My family heritage dates back to people just love Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I was raised in a home who didn't just proclaim it, but we lived it. My dad lived it. Man, my dad worked a full-time job, 
We traveled as a family is saying he preached any pastor. So this is what like the first 15 years of my life looked like. My dad would work Monday through Thursday. Thursday night, we would go to Savannah, Tennessee. We would practice with a band. We'd come home. He'd work Friday. Friday night, we would leave. We would get on a bus. We would go to somewhere and sing Friday night, spend the night, sing somewhere Saturday night, spend the night, drive or drive back home. He would preach Sunday morning and somewhere within two-hour driving distance, we would sing somewhere Sunday evening and then come back and he'd preach that night. And that was every week of my life growing up. Every week. I watched my dad almost kill himself. But there come a time in my life where I had to realize that didn't save me. It couldn't save me. I was lost and I needed Jesus and I had to understand that my heritage could not save me. Paul come to the place and realized that his heritage was not good enough for salvation. I have family members today who literally believe they're going to heaven based on my father's life. It's scary. But that's the way the heritage can hang everybody up. Second thing is, is there's the downfall of knowledge. Notice what he says. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. He's saying all these things, but there can be a downfall of knowledge. Paul continues with his his story. He was dedicated to his traditional heritage, committed to the language, to the customs. He was the highest level of devout Judaism, and he was a very active part of the rabbinical system. I mean, he had convenience, man. He had it going on. But we have to realize it has to be convenience over conviction. We have to be more convicted than convenience is what I'm trying to say. It's like this. I can memorize every verse in this Bible. I can go to every Bible study that's scheduled. I can read every new book that has come out. I can hate sin. I can do all of those things, but it's still not enough to save me. So there can be a downfall of knowledge. He was zealous. And he was, he was chasing after all of the things that we would consider. If he walked in this church today, we would be like, man, where do you want to serve, brother? I mean, look at you. Yet he had to come to his own decision that heritage wasn't enough and knowledge wasn't enough. And then there's a danger of religion. Within the Jewish tradition, Paul would have considered him been considered blameless by the peers. He was the model Jew or what we would call today the model church member. He was religious, but he was lost. And how many people do we know says that, hey man, I do this. I go to church, I give, I serve, I do this, I accepted Jesus. Can I tell you something? Jesus doesn't need you to accept Him. The reality is, is He has accepted you. The Bible says in Ephesians that we are what? Accepted into the beloved. 
We don't do God favors. God blesses us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross and God's grace and mercy toward us. But there's the danger of religion. But relationship is his design. Because notice what he says, and you can't miss this. This is like the best part. He said in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Now, in, in my version, the New King James, it's rubbish. Some versions may have garbage. Uh, the King James, if I'm not mistaken, has the word dung in it. Pretty strong word. This is what he says. He says, when it's all said and done, the Greek word is scabulon. When it's all said and done, my heritage is waste. My knowledge is garbage. And my religion, the word literally means excrement. It is nasty. He said, when I met Jesus, my heritage my knowledge and my religion all became garbage when I looked at him. I want you to think about that this morning. Because you can be religious, you can have a godly heritage, you can have all of this knowledge and you can still be lost and headed to a place of a Christless eternity separated from the ones you love, separated from the one who loves you for all eternity. Has to be relationship over religion. Listen, religion is something you practice. Relationship is something you are part of. Let me, let me, let me help you. How many people in here know Allen Iverson? Come on, some of you sports folks. Allen Iverson, great basketball player, right? Some of y'all may get and remember this. Some of you may not. There was a time where he got in trouble because they had a mandatory practice. And it was all over the headlines. Allen Iverson decided he wasn't going to show up. So it made, he got fined by the team. They had a big press conference. And Allen Iverson said this right here. He said, practice? Yeah, y'all who saw it, you know, who needs practice? I don't need practice. I am... And he was basically saying, I'm good enough. If we're not careful, that could be the attitude of us today. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to go to church. I don't have to worship. I don't need any of these things. I prayed a prayer a long time ago, and as far as I'm satisfied, it is settled between me and Jesus. That is religion. Because relationship says, God, I need to hear from you through your word. Lord, I want to be with your people who are filled with your spirit. God, I got to worship you because you're the only one worthy of worship. And God, that prayer I prayed all those years ago, it is still holding true today. I am still as saved today as I was in 1997. And I can't wait until I get to see you again because you are the love of my life. That is relationship. That's what we have to strive for. So I have good news. The advantage for everyone. 
Jesus came to vindicate, vindicate God's glory. He came to live for God's glory. And I'm fixing to just give you some verses. John 17, 4. I have glorified you on the earth. The heavenly, just the heavenly godly prayer from Jesus. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Father, I came. I walked on the earth and I glorified your name in everything I did. That's living for God's glory. Because who is supposed to, who was supposed to glorify God? The Jews. They were supposed to glorify his name among the Gentiles and be the light unto the Gentiles. So Jesus come, he said, God, I did it. Father, I glorified your name. But then he dies for God's glory. John 12, 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, what? Glorify your name. What if God's people got as intense about glorifying God's name as Jesus did? Jesus came to die in our place. Why? To save us from God's wrath. Romans 5, 9 and 10. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we should be saved, what? From wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, whoo, that's good. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. I want to tell you, you need to highlight that verse and pray it and thank God for it every day because of if it wasn't for Jesus Christ coming and shedding his blood and paying for our sin, you and I would have to suffer the wrath of God. And they can dumb it down all they want to. They can preach it away. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day where the same God who offers grace and mercy is going to pour out his wrath on those who don't believe in him and has not been saved. He saved us from God's wrath, but he didn't just save us from God's wrath. He saved us to God's righteousness. Philippians 3, 9 says, be and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. God didn't just save me from his wrath. He saved me to righteousness in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to change us. He came so that we could delight in God's glory. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How wonderful would it be that God's people shine so bright that people would be like, wow, man, you have got to be a believer and a child of God. We just want to praise him because of what he's done in your life. I want my life to glorify him. Not only did he come to change us to delight in God's glory, he came to change us to declare the gospel to the lost. But even, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, even if our gospel is veiled, please hear this verse, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age have blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 
We owe the gospel to every person alive today. We owe the gospel to the least person and the greatest person, to the richest person and to the poorest person, to the best person and to the worst person. We are in debt to the nations to share the gospel because if we don't share it as God's people, it is veiled. And they're dying without Jesus. In closing, I want to say this right here. I am so thankful for the the country and the community that God allowed me to be born and raised in. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade the blessings of the American church. I wouldn't trade the blessings of being trained in an American seminary. I wouldn't trade any of that, y'all. I am thankful that God looked down through time and he saw the family that I was going to be a part of. He created me just the way he did and he saw who he designed me to be. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But it wasn't just for my good. It was for God's glory. I just want to close. I want to challenge you today because here's the truth. We are living in 2020 what people are calling post-Christian America. The latest poll done in 2017 by Pew Research says that 65% of Americans claim to be Christians. That sounds all right, but that's down 12 points from just a few short years earlier. They're saying at this rate, by 2035, America will no longer be considered a Christian nation. And if you all remember correctly, we had a president just a few years ago who already declared that America was not a Christian nation. For some, it's going to be the revealing of the apocalypse. Well, it has to happen. I mean, it's, I mean, America, it's just, it's people turning away and we're going to brush it off. It's just people turning away. Y'all realize how close 2035 is if the Lord tarries? It's 15 years and that's not long. For others, it will be the response of sadness, alarm, and outright fear. And then there's going to be some that land in the middle and says, you know what? Man, we got to have this apostasy. People have to turn away. But man, it's heartbreaking. Here's my thought. And it's, take it for what you want. I just believe that as long as God is still on his throne, and I believe that as long as Jesus is still sitting at his right hand, and I believe that as long as God's people in this nation are breathing, and God is still working, that God can do and send a great revival, and we can see people saved for the glory of God, and we can lift up the name of Jesus. I still believe we can overcome evil with good. I still believe that Jesus reigns today. I'm telling you, we have got 
got to get out of the stands, church, and get on the playing field. And we have got to take this serious. And we've got to believe that God has called us for more than just an eternity of rest and peace and happiness in heaven. That he has called us to live out our lives for his glory and the gospel and the salvation of others all across the world. And I believe that if God's people would just take it serious and not be like the Jews of the first century, we can still see God move. You can say, well, man, I didn't realize we were getting him. He's crazy. I'm telling you, I just love Jesus and I know what he did in my life and I know what he'll do in yours. And it's not too late. You and I can choose to continue with the business as usual in the Christian life and in the church as whole. And we can enjoy having numbers. We can enjoy having all these things. But I want to tell you, if we took an honest look at Jesus of the Bible and we really obeyed what he said, it may be crazy what he might do. If just a few of us could God start with me. God, I'm tired of sitting in this pew. I'm tired of being comfortable sitting in these chairs. God, I need you to start with me and I want to see my family saved and I want to see this nation saved. God, I want to see a great awakening. God, I want to see revival among the nations because God, one day we're going to stand and we're going to be singing praises to you. It can happen, y'all. It's just time. Here's your challenge. Y'all don't think y'all getting 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I've been dealing with this for four weeks. It's just all coming out at one time. No, I might blow up. Warn either we're going to retreat or we're going to risk it all. I believe Jesus has brought us to this place. Amen. We sit in here last Monday night in a trustees meeting and Brother Ken laid out how good God has been to this place. Amen. And God is moving in this place. Amen. 16 people baptized since January amidst this crazy pandemic. And I don't know how many people have joined in the last year and a half, but God is moving. Do y'all realize in this place that there is a stirring among the 18 and 25 year olds that is blowing the doors off this place? Some of y'all may not even realize it, but God is moving in that age group. God is moving in children's ministry. God is moving in student ministry. He's moving. And when God moves, you have to take advantage of it. If you know the, the story, when the waters were stirred and they stepped into the water, they got healed. God has stirred the waters of Warren Community Church. And we need to step into the pool. And so my challenge today is we're going to retreat or we're going to risk it all. But I believe that there's still a God in America. I believe there's still a God in this community. I believe there's still a God in our homes, in the church. And I believe that his name needs to be lifted higher than any other name so that we can glorify him for all of eternity. So here's the thing. We're going to either live as though he's dead or we're going to glorify his name forever. So in this room today, I don't want this to be another Sunday church service. 
I'm tired of Sunday church service. I'll be honest with you. I've been here long enough now to say that, right? I hope so. If not, I need a job. I got a resume. No, I'm just kidding. I can only do one thing besides preach is cut grass. So it's not much here to offer. I want to see God move, y'all. That's all I'm saying. And if we don't allow him to move in his people, then we're going to continue to see this trend that we're facing in the world today and in our nation. But if just for a few minutes, and I want Alex to come, and I want Brother Ken to come, just for a few minutes in this place, if you don't care what anybody thinks about you, and you don't look to the left or to the right, but you look at Jesus, and you really have a burden Say, God, I want to see this nation changed. God, I want to see my family saved. I want to see my friends saved. God, I want to see your name glorified at my work, in our schools, in all these things. God, I want revival. If for just a few minutes we set everything else to the side, and we would simply break out of our comfort and come and just kneel and go, God, start with me. Start with me, Lord. Maybe it could be that you need to come and just confess something to Pastor Ken and go, God, Pastor Ken, I just want God just to cleanse me and sanctify me and God, so I can be more effective for Him. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's somebody in here today who's lost and who has been struggling and fighting and wrestling with this whole Christianity thing in the first place. I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you. And Jesus came to save you. And so today could be your day. But just for a minute, all across this room, if we just made that proclamation, start with Warren, Lord. Would it not be amazing that if God tarries 50 years from now, people are talking about July the 5th, 2020, and what happened at Warren Community Church, and how God began to stir among the leaders, and stir among the people, and people begin to confess and people begin to repent and people begin to lay their lives to the side and say, God, I'm going to give it all to you. In this place this morning, it could happen. So, Father, we come to you, God. Lay it all down. God, for the sole purpose of your name glorified. Because we know that where you are high, and lifted up, men are drawn to you. So God, start here, start now, start today in this place. As everybody stands to their feet, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If God is pressing on your heart to come, please come. Please let it start with you today. Let it start with me today. Don't let this moment pass. Don't let it pass, church. We're in a special time. Don't let it pass. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.